One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Jeremy Ryan Slate, CEO of Command Your Brand. And we're going to be talking about mastering the art of storytelling on podcasts. And I always love it when I get to speak on podcasts about podcasting. It's very meta, it's very self-indulgent, and I love it. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm, I'm stoked to, to be here hanging out. And I, and I got to say, man, you have a perfect voice for podcasting. So it's going to be a fun day. Thank you so much. It's a mutual appreciation society because I was just talking to you about the fact that I love your audio quality, your end. And I know the audio quality for the audio files out there that listen to podcasts are going to really enjoy this one. Yeah. I've gotten a little nerdy on it over the years too, because like I used to have the really, <laughs> really basic setup and now I have, you know, the, the SM7B and I have the, the interface and the preamp. And I got, I got really nerdy in the last like three years on it, man. I am getting there, but I'm not there yet. We were just discussing before I press record about our different setups. And I was just explaining to Jeremy that I'm still recording from home. I've slowly started to tweak my home setup. So I've got some soundproofing. I'm using the Rodecaster Pro, which I absolutely love. And that combined with the Rode Pod mic, it makes for a really good quality home recording setup. But because I'm recording from home, I've got construction outside. I've got my cat that interferes. I'm in a city center with sirens. But then Jeremy one up to me and Jeremy, maybe you can start by just explaining the setup that you've got at home and what's happening around you. Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, I found the most useless place in my home. We bought this house uh, last June and uh, I built a studio box underneath the stairs. So it's a uh, was an interesting experience. It, it took a lot more materials than I thought it was going to make. Like I, I think I had to buy, um, gosh, like 30 two by fours, whole bunch of pieces of plywood. And then I have all these like f- foam soundproof tiles over the inside. So I, I did it for around 500 bucks. It wasn't bad. And then um, in this room, though, I, I had mentioned to you before we started recording, um, I currently have two chickens because one of my chickens got hurt by the dog and we left the little rooster with him. So she's not by herself. And uh, my three-year-old also wanted um, ducks. We have four little baby ducks that are also down here as well. And um, I'm using an app called crisp.ai, which blocks background sound. So luckily, no one's going to hear all the little cheep, cheep, cheeping in the background. <laughs> I'm okay with animal noises. I can deal with animal noises, but they do distract from the conversation. There's no doubt, particularly chickens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, we're going to be discussing 
this topic of mastering the art of storytelling, both from a host's perspective, but also there will be tips for guests as well today. Before we get into all of that, do you want to describe to our listeners a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day basis at Command Your Brand? Yeah, so at Command Your Brand, we are the PR firm for the podcast space. We really try to help people tell a better story, uh, locate the right podcast for them that they can share that story on and then help them become guests on those shows. I've also hosted a podcast since uh, 2014 called the Create Your Own Life Show where I interview world-class performers and I still continue to do that till this day. So you have the most unique and balanced perspective on delivering masterful stories on podcasts, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you. And really, selfishly, I'm going to ask you to start by looking at things through the lens of a host, just picking up this topic of creating the best environments for stories to surface as a host. What can hosts do? What have you done historically to make sure that the best stories are told? I started out by like messing a lot of stuff up. I found that the (laughs) worst way to open a conversation is to say, so what's your story? Um, because what happens is depending on who the person is, you may get 45 minutes of them talking and you not being able to get a word in edgewise, or they may give you like two words and then you're like, well, shoot, I didn't prepare that much for this interview. So it's not going to go that well based on that. So I, Mm -hmm. I, and I did that for like two years and, and frankly, like it made it really, really hard to produce a great show. I found to really create a great story. Part of it was deciding how to become a better interviewer. I find that the art of interviewing and, and really working on that is a vital skill to having a better conversation. And I, th- I think I'm on closing in on a thousand interviews that I've done as, as a host. I think my latest episode is like 970 or something like that. So I, I've had a lot of experience in doing that. And, and over the years, I've found really it's my preparation, which really sets up a great story for a podcast. Because I find a lot of times, and I hope nobody takes offense to this, but I, I think a lot of times hosts can kind of approach this in a lazy fashion and ask everybody the same 10 or 15 questions, or they don't do enough background research about their guests and they'll ask them the question that everybody asks them. Like, like here's an example. Um, I had um, Kelly Earnhardt Miller on my show and her, her dad was the legendary race car driver, Dale Earnhardt. And the question she hates being asked the most is, what's it like being a woman in motorsports? Mm-hmm. So of course, I didn't ask her that question. And I kind of made a joke about, well, I'm not going to ask you the question you hate being asked. And she goes, thank God. Um, and because of that, it really opened up a better conversation. So really understanding what your guests talk about, what they like to talk about, what they don't like to talk about, the ways to approach about it, that's vital. And Scott, one of the things I really like to do as well is as an interviewer, try to improve my interview skills. So I'll, I'll look at people that I really respect as interviewers and see how they do it. So like, you know, the Larry Kings of the world, the Oprah's of the world. I don't look at a lot of other podcasters because I think a lot of times we're just figuring it out as much as, uh, as another, another person out there. But I, I think listening to people that do a lot of interviews has really helped me to, to kind of hone my interview chops. So what I'll then do is when I'm, when I want to interview a guest, I'll look at shows that they've been on before and I'll find one with somebody that I really respect. And I, I don't really listen to the whole episode, but I will listen to a good portion of an episode. And I'm actually not listening for the content. I'm listening because I want to learn their communication style. Do they answer long? Do they answer short? Um, do they, you know, need a lot of prodding in order to get the right story out? So I find that really having that groundwork when you get into a conversation is vital. And then once the conversation starts, it's making sure people answer your questions because I think sometimes you'll, you'll, when, especially when you're dealing with people that have had a lot of media training, they, they're good at spinning the question in a way that 
they can answer it the way they want to. Mm -hmm. But you kind of learn how to rephrase the question many times to kind of get that out. And you also realize that follow-up questions are kind of vital to really setting yourself up for a story. So I know we kind of like, I kind of went all over the place there, but like as a host, those are a lot of things that I really focus on to kind of create a great environment for stories. Actually, you answered my question perfectly. And uh, so there's no need for me to rephrase the question, but you have piqued my curiosity in a number of ways. And one thing that I love that you said there was about the comparison, well, the, the study of interviewers, and particularly one thing there, you mentioned Larry King, and that's something that I know I've been through. I don't necessarily study other podcasters, but I think I'm probably going through a process that maybe you've already been through in that I really like to study good interviews, but maybe I'm struggling a little bit to not be influenced by them. You still, I feel, want to, I think we all just mm -hmm. want to find our own style in podcasting. Is that sure. a process that you've been through? Well, and I, I think that's the other part of it is, is a lot of people say like, hey, how do you get better at interviewing? And, and frankly, the, the, the question, the answer people don't like is do a lot of interviews. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's really what it comes down to because it becomes a mix of, you know, the people that you study, your own way of doing it, because you're going to find conversations flow differently, especially when you're talking to somebody for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, an hour and 10 minutes, whatever it may be. And you have to kind of learn your own style around that. Like you can definitely be influenced by the style of others, but you're going to find that the way you communicate and the way you do things are just different. So you have to kind of be willing to work that process through. And also you, you have to kind of, when you're looking at an interview, when I started, I used to write like 30 to 60 questions. I wanted to talk to that person because I'd be like, oh my God, I can't, I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to fill that time. I'm not going to be able to do it. And the thing that I found is where I'm at now is I do that little bit of research. I also come up with three to five things that I want to talk about. And I'll have probably one or one to three pre-written questions. Reason being is I want to take the conversation in a certain direction and open myself up for the right follow-up questions. So it's also kind of having the end and the pattern in mind of, of where you want to bring people back to. And you kind of, you can kind of weave it in like this, this kind of like the stance of bringing somebody kind of through the process to, to where you want to go, but allowing them to tell the stories they want to tell along the way. Finding that balance between being prepared, but maybe not over-prepared in the sense that you have a script. Um, yes. it, uh, yeah, that's interesting because that's something I've come across too. And I've always found as a host that in terms of this topic of surfacing great stories and engaging stories, it's really difficult as a host if I'm speaking to a guest and they've prepared a script because they want it's a confidence thing i think it comes down to wanting to not feeling comfortable in the podcasting format and feeling free enough to have a conversation that perhaps the guest over prepares and kind of wants all the questions in advance those those aren't the style of podcast that in my experience have gone particularly well it's not that enjoyable as a host and i think that comes through in the stories that are told and then also just in the episode quality for the listener you know what I found as well, and, and I don't want to like sound critical here, but I, I found that the more higher level guests you interview, the less they care about the content of the conversation. They just really want to have a great conversation hmm. um, because I agree with you. Like when, when people have been like, well, can I have the questions ahead of time? I don't know about you, but number one, like I kind of prepare when I feel like I have time for it. So it doesn't mean like one to three days before it's even ready. It might be ready an hour before. Um, but at the same time, if they have too much information, they kind of know what's coming. It's like, all right, so let me just kind of sit here and wait for my softball. And there it is and swing. All right, cool. <laughs> it's just not really authentic and real. You know what I mean? 
Mm, yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. But the interesting thing that you said that I'm I'm not quite there with myself as a host yet is that I typically have structure and the preparation point that you said really resonates with me. That's been the key for me to get more confident and enjoy podcasting is the preparation is probably the part that I find as a podcaster is most underappreciated. I put in so much more research time than I think a lot of people realize. I'm looking at the notes that I have in front of me right now for this podcast and I have maybe you know six or seven talking points. So the art of then consolidating those talking points into maybe three questions sounds like it's really tricky. When did that start becoming a part of your process? Did that take some time? Probably in the last three years. And and I find also as well now, a big part of that as well is I'm interviewing people I'm really excited about now too. So like, I, I think mm-hmm. it's hard to say like, I'm not preparing as much because I've been preparing for years. Like, here's an example. Like, um, I've been listening to a podcast since like 2007, 2008, somewhere around there called The No Agenda Show. Uh, and it's hosted by uh, Adam Curry and, and John Dvorak. And I'm interviewing Adam Curry in two weeks. I've been listening to his podcast for 1,400 episodes. At this point in time, I know their content very, very, very well. And I know my, my three to five things I want to ask. Mm. And I think that's also part of what's changed is I'm also interviewing people that I'm really excited to talk to for a particular reason. Like, you know, maybe there's something in that conversation I want to talk to them about. Like I interviewed a gentleman recently about kind of this cancel culture society we have going on right now. It's become very difficult to have comedy. And -hmm. I think comedy is actually really important because it allows us to talk about a lot of things that we, we wouldn't particularly talk about through a comedic lens. And it kind of opens up that ability to talk about it. So because of that, I think at the same time, I'm also coming into it with this is kind of the chat I want to have. So I think that helps inform the conversation too. This concept of, you said about speaking to people that you really want to speak to makes it easier to know the questions that you want to ask. And you gave that example of having listened to 1400 podcast episodes. Now, on one hand, I'm thinking to myself, when you meet people that you admire, your idols or just people you're influenced by, that process of then knowing what you'll say to them can be really, really overwhelming because there's so much you want to ask. So it's actually mm-hmm. a real art to filter or to distill the key questions that you want to ask. Is that something that you went through at all or was it? Is it much easier for you now just because of your experience? I, I think now it's easier because of experience. But if I was to look at, you know, even four years ago, and that's not saying I don't get nervous now, but like part of it was nerves, frankly, mm-hmm. is you get nervous about these conversations. Like I've interviewed some of my favorite athletes and initially like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm going to talk to AJ Hawk. Like, this is ridiculous. Or I'm going to talk to Nick Swisher. Like, oh, my gosh. And getting over that, I think, is is a lot different now where I'm able to kind of just be there and, you know, treat them like a peer. And it's interesting is they they'll treat you like a peer as well if you treat them that same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really that helps the conversation as well, because I've been in those situations where I'm nervous. It's kind of my first time you know, talking to somebody this caliber and you kind of you show up like a little bit of a fanboy. And, and that does mm-hmm. that does show up in the conversation. Like I feel I got a chance to interview Grant Cardone back in 2016. And I was really excited for the conversation. It was one of the first big interviews I had. And I totally fanboyed it. And because of that, I think you know, Grant did a great job, but I think I could have really done a better job in where the conversation went because I was just too excited. The more times you do it, the more you get used to how you're going to guide that conversation. One aspect of this that stood out to me as you were talking there is you're in a position now where I assume you're having the conversations that you want to have because you're not just having conversations with the people that pitch to you. Is that a fair assumption? 
It's it's half and half, right? right. Because I'm I, it, because here's the interesting thing too is I'm also getting pitched by people I want to talk to, which is kind of cool, I guess. I guess it means you're doing a, a good job getting out there in the right places and in the right way. So you know, half of it is people that get pitched to me. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting, or or that's exciting, or, or whatever it may be. Like I, I don't know. It's 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 hard to describe because like for me, when I get pitched, it's immediately like this is a yes or this is a no. And if it's a yes, there's something about it I'm excited about. Like maybe it's a new technology. Maybe it's uh, a trend out there right now. Maybe the person's interesting. Like if it grabs me, it grabs me almost immediately. And it's really hard for me to describe what grabs me, which is crazy because my company pitches people. Um, <laughs> but like that's really how I react to a pitch. And I know right away if it's a no for me. And if it's a yes, I'm usually excited. Speaking more practically about the conversation when it's actually happening, as you were talking there, you said that over the years you've developed some techniques about when the conversation maybe isn't going fluidly and maybe when those stories aren't surfacing naturally, you've developed techniques to help move the conversation along and help to surface them. Please share them with me. I need those techniques. <laughs> well, there's a, there's like a few different ones. Like I have like a couple like questions you keep in your pocket for like kind of when you're not getting as much out of a person. Like one is, you know, we go through a lot of changes in our life. What is something that you believe now that you don't believe at 21? Dude, mm -hmm. that will open somebody up like you won't believe. And mm -hmm. that's a really good cracker question. Um, another one, frankly, I find a lot of people don't do is I tend to open up interviews with some sort of a like a, an icebreaker that's going to get somebody interested right away and also interested in communicating. Like yesterday, I was interviewing uh, a guy and I was like, so let me get this straight. I saw a picture of you with a chainsaw and another picture of you with an ice block with that chainsaw. You do chainsaw art? What is that? How did you get into that? Like, I'm just like, we're going to talk about some other stuff, but like, like, dude, tell me about this. And he's like, I thought you would never ask. Like, so like being able to also at the same time open up a conversation with in, a, in an interesting aspect also gets people set up. So I think if you can open up right, it's good, but you do need to have a few of those questions that are going to allow you to get people to think. And I find it's ones that allow people to reflect on perspective of things so that, you know, something you believed at 21, you don't believe now is really good because people go through changes. They have different things in their life that change. Another one is, um, you know, if you're looking at like, let's say someone was an athlete, right? Let's say they're a baseball player. You know, like you've played in a lot of baseball games, but could you tell me like what, what, what game or experience around that was most personally rewarding for you? It's things that get people to reflect are going to kind of break them out of that like automatic they're used to doing. So it's not exactly like questions I keep in my pocket, but ways of asking a question I keep in my pocket, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out to me, because I love, I love letting the silence speak is how I describe it. So I love the moment where I can hear a guest reflect on a question because I feel like I'm going to get an authentic answer because they've taken the time to think about it. But there is a lot of patience required as a host, I think, to allow silence when recording it. it took me a long time to get used to because you want to fill the air you get nervous you're like oh my gosh they're not saying anything but if you just sit there and kind of stare at them they'll fill it <laughs> yeah i don't mind see that's that's something that naturally for me for some reason whatever it is i don't mind and so maybe that's a benefit that i have i actually really enjoy sitting here and i like the anticipation of knowing that whatever answer i'm going to get is going to be authentic, is going to be real. Now, the thing that did put me off is that when you get into podcasting and you start to get influenced and start to research how other people are doing podcasting, I took this maybe from the radio industry where dead air is frowned upon. You don't want any dead air. But then I started to realize that you can still have a conversation. You can still allow silence in the conversation. And if you need to edit out to kind of polish up the podcast in post-production, you can do that. 
So yeah. it's not so bad. And that's my kind of workaround for that situation, I think. No, I, I would agree. We do end up cutting a lot of that stuff out, but but frankly, mm. that dead air is vital. Mm. And here's the here's the weird part about it is also like let's say you comment on someone's answer and you just say something significant and pause. The guest may come up with something really cool and significant to say that wasn't even the answer to a question. I don't know if you've you've had that happen before as well. Like I'll tend to like give somebody a win of like what I got off what they just said and just kind of repeat that to them and then just pause. And surprisingly, I get some really cool responses to something that's not even a question. As we're talking this through, I remembered a question that I wanted to ask, which is related to this. And you, you mentioned Larry King, but I assume that you have studied other masterful interviewers, even if they're not necessarily podcast hosts, as you've described. Who are some other influences for you? I listen to a lot of radio people, frankly, like um, Paul Harvey was a, was a big one. Um, I also listen to a lot of like famous speeches. Like I've listened to a lot of like FDR speeches, a lot of Churchill no, speeches, stuff like that. I, I tend to 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 li- like how people communicate, and I like a lot of radio stuff. I just it's kind of the world I've come from. Is my I grew up in a house where the radio was always on. And it was always on an FM dial, listening to somebody talk. AM dial, sorry. So I'm I'm just used to used to that. So you know, Paul Harvey's a big one. Um, Larry King's a big one. Um, there was another guy, and he was kind of more like a a New York area radio guy, but he was always on at like eleven to like one in the morning. Um, and his name was John Bachelor. And he would list, he would bring on a lot of authors and they would talk about books. And that's how I found a lot of book recommendations of, of things I've read. So John Batchelor was super cool. And he's actually somebody I've reached out to for a podcast interview, which has been cool. I found a lot of guests through his show. So it's people like that, like old time radio people, like people have been doing this for a long time. It's very interesting to me. Um, not as much like a, like a Walter Cron- Cronkite type of guy, cause he just has mm-hmm. a weird way of communicating. But to me, it's, it's people that have been in radio for a long time and, and, you know, they kind of have that. Um, you can feel them through the mic, if you know what I mean. There's, well, I guess he's a maybe a writer, but he also has a podcast uh, from the US, a guy called James Altucher, and he has a popular... Oh, I, I did think, a live show with James. He's a great guy. Ah, nice. Yeah, so I really like his style of interviewing. Uh, I've always enjoyed his podcast. And- I, I made the mistake with James, by the way, of, of asking him the one question, tell me your story. So for an hour and a half, I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's a tip that I'll take away. I mean, I'm fairly lucky in that I don't ask that typically at the beginning. I do ask people to give an introduction to what they currently do in their business, but I don't necessarily to say, tell me your story. It is hard, actually, as a host to step in and know when, when you need to get the podcast back on track. Because also the other thing maybe people listening don't realize or always realize is we have very limited time with one another. So, you know, for a show that's this episode, for example, might end up being somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes long and we have an hour together. You know, you're busy. I'm busy. We have other things after this. We don't have infinite amounts of time. So that little pocket of time that you spend together, it's so important to do that research so you can get the most out of that that experience, that time that you have together. And so if you are someone, I can imagine, tell me your story. You could be easily sitting there as a host 20, 30 minutes into an hour that you've got with someone and thinking, oh no, I haven't asked the questions that I wanted to ask. Well, and, and the thing about that too is there also may be a guess that the reason you're talking to them is because they have an interesting story. So the thing mm-hmm. you may want to do there is is how you ask that question is, is really interesting. So like, for example, um, I, I noticed in your life, like climbing Mount Everest was a big thing. And I'm, I'm just curious, like for you, you know, you know, what part of your story or, or what thing in your life, you know, connects you to that? So when you, I, the thing I've gotten better is if I'm going, if, if the story is the really important part is kind of directing 
the perspective I'm trying to get on the story, but rather than mm. like, hey, what's your story? Because that's just a whole bag of worms. In terms of just being a naturally good storyteller, so switching maybe from a guest's perspective here, you've hosted a number of interviews with high-level performers now. Are there any that stand out to you in that time that you just have sat back and you've been able to just felt that the guest is such a good storyteller that you've been able to sit back, relax as a host and just listen and take in the journey? Actually, there's one woman that comes to mind. Um, Her name was Amy and she actually survived the Oklahoma City bombing. Wow! And that's kind of something that that's such a a tragic event. It's such a big event. So it's kind of like, what else could I say but to allow her to speak? Do you know what Mm. I mean? So like it's it's something when it's when it's really powerful like that and someone has a really powerful testimony, I think, in a way. And that's that's one that really comes to mind for me that it was just like, I I just appreciate what you're telling me right now. Like this is, you know, what you've come through and what you've become because of it is is quite incredible. And, you know, she wasn't even somebody that was like famous or, or whatever it may be. But this um, it helped her to become, a, you know, lose a whole bunch of weight, become a CEO of a company. But it really motivated her in her life because of this near death experience she had. So to me, it's it's people that have had experiences like that. And, and really, I'd, I'd have to say out of all of them, that's, that's the single one that stands out to me the most. So you talk to high performers and again, speaking, thinking about the limited time that they might have. Do you have pre-podcast discussions? That's something I've seen. I personally don't host pre-podcast discussions about what we're going to speak about. It's just not to my taste as a host. And my thought process is that it takes a lot of skill as a host for you to know very early on with a guest when to leave that silence and let someone like that example you've just shared there, when to let that person speak. So like a real emotional intelligence to know, hey, I've got something really great with this guest. All I need to do is let them speak. I guess, how have you developed those skills, that alertness to that? Just doing a lot of interviews, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's really what it comes down to because you kind of develop it's hard to describe, but you develop this kind of sixth sense for for what's happening, what's occurring, how it's going, how the guest is doing, how you're doing. And you just get used to like, oh, okay, so this is occurring now. Okay, so I do this now. And you you just get really used to how you handle the situations because you've done so many. And I think that the the bigger lesson I've learned out of that is is to really make sure you're being present at, at all times. Because I think too often, a lot of hosts are worried about what is that next question I have? And that's why I've always kept a pad next to me, because if it comes to me and I want to ask it, I want to write it down. Mm-hmm. So I write it down so I get out of my space and I can keep listening. And and I think that's one of the biggest problems is people are so focused on what is that next question or next place I want to go and they stop being present. So to me, it's about figuring out how you can be present. Talking about being present makes me feel about the conversations that I have with my therapist right now, being present <laughs> in life. And uh, But I am interested because hosting podcasts is just one aspect of what I do as a marketer. And so to actually be present, it sounds easier than maybe it is to achieve. I think it takes a level, uh, I mentioned emotional intelligence, active listening is really important. And I think what I'm interested to know here is, were there any signs maybe earlier in your life or career that indicated that you had the skills that would be good for podcasting? Like, have you always been a really good listener? Were you always curious? Do you have those skills naturally? So the one thing I would say is is curiosity. Um, so I have a I have a master's in ancient history. I'm one of those people that um, I win Jeopardy in the privacy of my own home on a <laughs> nightly basis. Like I have all this useless knowledge that doesn't really aid me in anywhere else but having conversations with people. So for me, it's been this curiosity and 
you know, this ability to kind of understand a wide range of people because I have a wide range of experience and, and knowledge and stuff like that. You'd be surprised how helpful that is. And mm-hmm. like really having a base knowledge on a lot of different things. So I would say it's curiosity and also, you know, frankly, just the, the subjects I've studied have really helped me. On the topic of curiosity, I'd love to know a little bit more about when you decided to launch Command Your Brand and the decision-making process in that. So going from being a podcast host to then launching a podcast booking agency and becoming a publicist in that area, talk me through that process. Like, how did that pan out? Well, initially, the thing I really struggled with is is when I started, I was working at a friend's marketing firm and I was... uh, doing coding websites. I had like taught myself from YouTube videos. So I, I had started this podcast just really as a hobby. So I had this real mental block at first to like, no, I can't make money on this. This is my art. So like I had this really weird thing I had to kind of like get over like, yes, you're spending time on this. You should be making money on it. That's fine. So initially it was getting over that block and then we had some sponsors and we had some, some affiliate offers and things like that we were working on. But then I started having people asking me like, hey, like, can you help me with starting a podcast? So we actually ended up uh, starting a company where we did like a done for you podcast. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that had gotten my show a lot of notice early on was going on other podcasts and doing this whole PR plan. So when we launched shows for people, we actually helped them to get another podcast. And what we found from our clients is they said, well, I'm busy. I, I like the show, but I'd rather just go on other shows. So we ended up just focusing on the percentage that people told us they wanted us to do. And that's really how, where the company came from. You know, this is the the second iteration of it. The first was called um, Get Featured. We had a, a really great run. We we did, you know, six figures in our first nine months, but uh, the co-founder and myself went in different directions and kept the original team employed and kept the whole thing going. And, and that's what became Command Your Brand. Throughout the launch of that first company, and even now with Command Your Brand, again, very meta here, but how important was the actual strategy of podcasting for the marketing and the growth of those businesses. It's funny because if we look at any time our revenue's been down, it's when I've been busy and haven't been on other podcasts. Like mm. going on podcasts is always the number one thing that drives growth for us. And, you know, when when I'm going on more shows, we're growing. So that's why I'm always consistently trying to make sure I'm doing that. And I know if I get busy and, and uh, I'm not going on shows, that's when we're going to see a revenue dip. So it's kind of the, the biggest thing that feeds our businesses is exactly what we do for others. And do you see that because the argument against that sometimes, I'm just trying to think about the people that I've maybe spoken to in marketing about podcasting. I do explain to people that the tangible benefits of podcasting can take a long time to see. Yes. So it's not like paid media where you launch a campaign and you can turn it on and you can start to measure the results immediately. I feel like it takes... I don't know. I mean, well, how long did it take for you from that beginning of launch and then investing in podcasting before you started to think, oh, there are things happening here that I can attribute to what I'm doing in the podcasting world? I'd say you, you have a, anywhere from three to six month lag between what you're doing and when it shows up, because as you're, you're correct. It's not like paid media. Hmm. It is, you know, like there is kind of this lag between, you know, when you do it and, and, and kind of um, what happens for um, it creating an effect. And and I find that too, it doesn't even always come in from the area you think it's going to come in because that's how public relations works. You get out there, um, you know, you, you kind of create more attention and, um, you know, it comes in because it's inflow equals outflow and it doesn't even always come in from the same area. So I'd say there is kind of a, a gap of like three to six months between when you're doing something and, and when it actually comes in. I imagine that first three to six months, particularly, I've forgotten the name of the original company. What was the first company? Get Featured. Get Featured, yes. 
was it a scary time having that three to six months podcasting and then kind of waiting, like almost waiting for the phone to ring or an email to come in to see, oh, how's this going to work out? Well, what we really started doing first is we made a list of all the people we know that should be working with us. So we, we started uh-huh. calling a lot of those people at first to kind of fill the air because, you know, you do have to do that. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, we set up calls with all those different people we thought should be working with us and got enough of them going to be able to like, you know, fund the start of the company because it's not like anybody, you know, gave us startup money or whatever it was. It was whatever we were willing to create to, to get it going. And I assume by the time that you launched Command Your Brand, do you remember roughly how many episodes into your own podcast you were? Um, that's a great question. I would have to say I was somewhere around 180 or 200 episodes somewhere around there. Fairly experienced then. Yeah, I, I would say so at that point. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like everything we've created for, for clients and for podcasters because, you know, me as a podcaster has complained about it. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, why don't we have suggested questions? Like, I love when a PR firm sends me those or like, you know, why don't we have a value analysis to show people the value you're getting out of their placements? So, so I feel like everything I've complained about is something we've worked on. This is interesting because I am interested to know how easy it is. Your observations as a podcaster ultimately led to the creation of products and services that you could then offer people. It sounds like, is that fair? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But the one aspect, even speaking to you, this conversation, it's been really fluid and I can tell you're a natural storyteller, but that comes from the experience that you've discussed. And I'm really interested to know whether that's easy to teach to other people who aren't necessarily natural storytellers and maybe they don't have that experience. If you could just talk me through, once uh, you get an email, you receive an email, you receive a call and say, hey, can you help me get on some, some podcasts? How do you then help them become natural storytellers. Talk me through that process. Well, I think the first thing is is getting them through like the mental block they have on it. Um, because a lot of people have this kind of like mental block on, on storytelling and podcasts where they think that they can't show up and tell everything because if they do, then people won't want to work with them. Mm-hmm. When actuality, doing that is what creates trust. So we really try to get people to open up, really be yourself. and 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 because of that, they're much more willing to communicate. And if you handle that first thing, frankly, it's much easier to to explain to somebody, you know, what a good story looks like. What are the parts to the story? You know, we always start with the end in mind and and kind of work the way back to, you know, your end in mind to what you teach to, you know, like your own story and how you got here. But you've got to get people to open up first to being willing to tell everything and not saying, well, it's in this YouTube video or it's on this book or you can go check out my TED talk or it's in my course or you should sign up for our program. Like you have to be willing to show to, to show and tell everything there. And, and frankly, um, you're going to get a lot more things, you know, coming through. How do you practically do that at the moment? Are you, uh, when you decide to start working with, with someone, do you sit down because you've mastered the art of asking questions yourself from the hosting experience as a podcaster. So I imagine that you've got these right. You, we talked about it earlier on. You've got the right questions that you can ask that allow people to reflect, which then mm-hmm. surface the stories. So is it kind of like almost like hosting a non-recorded podcast with a, with, uh, with a client where you're kind of sitting, interviewing them and helping them to surface their stories? So frankly, it's it's actually like um, what people do before they get on the first call with our team, which has made a big difference. There's a couple podcasts um, that we've worked with over the years that had just really great like intake processes and like things they ask a guest. Like uh, one of the ones that's coming to mind is the the Jumble Think podcast with Michael Woodward. Mm-hmm. And some of the questions on their intake form were just outstanding. So we're like, well, shoot, we're going to have to fill these questions out at some point. Let's ask, let's ask people these questions as part of our intake. So we added a lot of great questions that podcasters ask in their intake to our intake process. So then it kind of gives us more to work with um, like in our first call with somebody. So, so that's actually 
the non-interview part and actually the written work is what's actually informed the meetings a little bit better. Oh, that's really interesting. It's made me think, actually, one thing we didn't cover as we were talking about the right questions to ask. You mentioned one question not to ask as a host, which is, what's your story? But are there any, you know, there may be other podcast hosts out there, maybe even guests that are thinking, oh, pitfalls to avoid, things that you shouldn't ask, no-nos in podcasting. Again, you've had so much experience. What things kill a conversation? Like something somebody doesn't want to be asked. Yeah, maybe they had like a really rough divorce and they just don't want to talk about it. So like knowing about some of those things ahead of time is is vital. And that's where your research step kind of helps you. But I think at the same time, when you're looking at what's a good question, um, I find things that are like feel felt found, like how did you feel when blank? You know, what have you found when, you know, blank? Um, wh- what, did it, what did you feel like when it was blah? Like when you can get somebody to reflect on it and kind of give you like a more intangible answer, if that makes sense, hmm. um, you're going to get a lot more out of what they have to say because they actually think about it and they actually have to kind of give you this more like aesthetic viewpoint on things. I've guested on a few podcasts, but I'm more a host than a guest, I would say. And one thing that I'm thinking about from a guest perspective here, if I lack confidence, I understand what you've just said there, that maybe someone can help surface stories for me, which then will enable me to feel prepared as a guest for podcasts. And yeah, just raise my confidence a little bit. But it's one thing to be a guest on a podcast once and tell a great story. And it's another thing to use podcasting as a strategy to promote yourself and keep repeating those stories in new and interesting ways. Is that something that you tackle? Is that a challenge that you see? I think it's really important, frankly, because I think people can get into like kind of an automaticity when they tell a story. Yeah. Like they're used to telling it the exact same way every time. And then, you know, you kind of lose somebody's attention, their interests. So I think that just goes back to being present and remembering to be present and, and acting like this is the first time you've told the story and also understanding the show you're on. When you're on different shows, they're going to want to hear stories in a different fashion. So also understanding what lens you're going to tell the story through is vital. And that's one of the big things we talk about in, you know, teaching our clients is understand there's different lenses people are coming to your story from. And it's going to be slightly different for every single show you're on. Remember to be real every time, because Mm -hmm. once it kind of gets down to this like patter, it's like, you know, why are you doing it anyway? Is there anything that you do intentionally to be more present as a host or a guest? So, for example, I've spoken to some podcast hosts who have pre-podcast rituals, there's a way to shake off the day and make sure that your attention is fully on the host or guest that you're speaking to. Is there anything that you do? I want to sound cool, but I, I literally don't have anything. Um, <laughs> if, if I'm nervous, uh, if I'm nervous, like maybe a good cigar or a walk, that's about it. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I, I don't really have a ritual. And especially since like everything I do is virtual, it's kind of like you're from one appointment to the next and you just kind of make sure you're present in each one. Yeah. One of my favorite guests has been someone who's known, he he featured recently on this podcast and he's called Maxwell Ivy and he formerly had the moniker, the blind blogger, and he's now got his own podcast called What's Your Excuse? And um, he's a fascinating guy. And in one of the podcasts with me, he was, he's both a host and a guest and he's very engaging. He's a very engaging speaker. And he was speaking to me about his podcast rituals. And he says, you know, on the day of a, on the morning of a podcast, like I always shower, I shave, even if I'm not on video, he just creates that kind of environment to get himself pumped up and feel professional for the podcast recording it. I kind of thought the same thing that maybe you felt when I asked you that question is I thought, I wish I kind of hyped myself up in that way. Like, I don't feel like I have a ritual either. I want that. Yeah, I, I I just don't have one, man. Like, and I, cause I like, I do the same thing 
I don't know. I'm a creature of habit in my life. So I kind of do the same thing every day. Like I get up mm. early, go to have breakfast, go to the gym, come back, take a cold shower, you know, and don't read any emails before 10 a.m. So it's like I, I kind of do the same thing every every day anyway. And I'm, I'm very regimented in that. Yeah, I don't really have a special thing I do before interviews. Do you help people with both the surfacing of stories, but then how they tell it? Things like tone, inflection, body language. Is that are those items that you help people with? I, I don't think we do as much of that because a lot of the people that are coming to us have have already a lot of times work with people for that because they've done a lot of stage stage speaking. They're an author. They've they've done a lot of things like that. Um, if not, like we do have like people we work with that we can connect them to for a little more training. But that's that's not part of what we do. We do actually a lot with you know making sure their video setup is right, making sure the lighting is right, making sure their right. their miking is right. Because um, that presentation stuff to me is all really important because I think just. Even like looking with my own show, what I'm doing now, it's just so much more of this is video. Um, you know, it's just, just really, really important. I want to close related to this point about the topic of trust in storytelling. So when you're particularly through the lens of a guest. So as a guest, again, being present is going to help with this. Being authentic, being in the moment and how you speak. But is there anything else that you teach or any techniques that you use as a guest to reinforce this point of trust? Because you want you don't want people just to hear your stories and smile and engage with them. You want them to trust them and feel that they're real. So is there anything that stands out to you as techniques that you've learned? Frankly, it's the it seems like a simplicity, but it's it's always tell the truth. If you are on an interview and you are not telling the truth, number one, you don't show up authentically. But number two, it's going to be very easy a lot of times for people to kind of debunk that. So to me, it's always show up and tell the truth and, and be real. You know, if, if you're making six figures, great. If you're making seven figures, great. But don't lie and say you are. Um, so it's really being true to who you are. And I think because of that, people can sense that and they can feel that. And, you know, that is another thing that really adds to trust. Because you've been in the podcasting space a long time. Do you see the exaggeration of stories more? Have you seen that develop over the years? So you can kind of sense yourself when stories are being exaggerated or made up and maybe it's not as real as it once was in some cases, just through the saturation of the market. You know, I, I think it was worse a couple of years ago and I think it started to get better again because it was kind of like it was more authentic and then it got less authentic. And I think we're kind of getting back to this kind of more authentic flow again. It's just because of what people listen to. Like they're not really willing to listen to those things that aren't so. Um, but like, like, dude, there were people that were like focusing so much on like, okay, so I'm going to tell this part of my story and I'm going to teach this exact <laughs> thing. And they like, it, like it gets a little crazy where they get so much into like the storytelling portion of it when the bigger part of storytelling is being there, being authentic, being real and telling the truth. Like if you you can do those things, you're going to do a great job. Jeremy, it's been wonderful to talk to you about mastering the art of storytelling. We were, again, saying before we press record that ending our week or beginning our day with podcasting, for me, it's right at the end of my working week. is a perfect way to wrap up my week. But before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, command your brand, and the Create Your Own Life podcast? Yeah, they can uh, check out the company over at commandyourbrand.com. Um, and actually, um, I have a new book coming out in June, on June 21st. It's called Unremarkable to Extraordinary, um, because I really believe we all are essentially unremarkable, but it's the things that we do that make us extraordinary. It's based on the you know nearly a thousand interviews I've done. And uh, if people head over to getextraordinaryboook.com and, and uh, either order the book or pre-order the book and come back with their, their uh, receipt, then we will actually give them a free version of the audiobook as well as our... Uh, 30 Days to Extraordinary Workbooks. That's over at getextraordinarybook.com. 
wonderful and you're under no obligation but nearer to the book release or maybe post release i'd love to get you back on and we can discuss some of the uh, some of the topics related to the book as well that would be excellent yeah absolutely man definitely let me know all right jeremy it's been wonderful thanks again for your time this has been the internet marketing podcast take care Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.